Any of them? One of the storms has come in from Ann's cousin in California, and uh, uh, we haven't heard from her. Mm -hmm. She was reporting on how the storms were put on the mudslides and so forth, and she just went silent, so we're not sure. Well, in general, for and continue to pray for for uh, Chelsea and Girl. Mm -hmm. Are they still up? Yeah, they're still up. Um, anyway, yeah. Any other prayer for Any mount? Yeah. Yeah. Tomorrow you'll have the disciple class, correct?
because he was there for about three months before he went to Jerusalem. And so, because he tells them he's looking forward to seeing him. And so, uh, that's it. Uh, uh, there, there's never really been any doubt, any serious doubt about the author of this book. Now, there might be some some places in there where they think that maybe it wasn't him or maybe something got lost and something got added because the style came. And, and one of the things that I've read was that maybe, just maybe, that one of the scribes was different than the one who wrote the tribe of But then, too, you have to understand, Paul was a learned man. He could have wrote it all. There's only 4,500 uh, different versions of the New Testament. Well, exactly right. There's, you know, there's only that's right, 4,500 at least that they know today. And the other thing is, is, you know, what is it, 27 books in the New Testament? Well, Paul wrote 13 of them. And this is the sixth book in the New Testament. If you count the number four Gospels, and then, you know, you got uh, Acts, and then Romans. And so, if it was a chronological thing, then that would be necessary. And then, two, part of it is mentioned in, in 1 Corinthians, so he could have been in Corinth when he wrote this. Wrote this, this, this. So, ninth one written in terms of order. Right, well, okay. Uh, it's, and sixth in order the way it's canonized. Right, you know, so. Right. But uh, the author is no dispute, really. Uh, like the name six says, they you know, uh, uh, Israel's first king Saul uh, was Paul's Hebrew name. Uh, Paul is, is a Greek name. Uh, Paul of most. Uh, Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin, and so these are little histories about Paul. Uh, we knew that he was a. Uh, 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 a Roman citizen, but we also knew that he was uh, he was a Pharisee, a Pharisee to the Pharisee Pharisee. Uh, he was he was one that was staunch, staunch Pharisee. Uh, no, no matter what it was, and, and you know, uh, so uh, he was born in, in Tarsus, which was an important city, uh, and. Uh, Anyway, uh, miraculously he converted while on his way to Damascus. Yeah, I mean, no, no matter what his Jewish history was, and he was he was Jewish to the day he died, but he was converted uh, miraculously on the road to Damascus to kill and imprison Christians. And uh, Jesus uh, encountered, or he had an encounter with Jesus and it changed his life. Uh, and so more than any other individual, Paul was responsible for the gospel of Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. Think about it. Uh, he made three missionary journeys uh, through much of the Mediterranean world uh, and, uh, and, and, and he was preaching the gospel. He had once sought to destroy. The man was going out preaching the gospel that he had once tried to destroy and stamp out. And he became one of the most prolific Christian writers of all time. Now, there is this wig out there in the other side of the fence, the left field, 
that think that uh, some people think that Paul uh, was a uh, an imposter, and I don't know how you can be an imposter when you're crucified for Christ. You know what I'm saying? At some point in time, people, you know, I know, but you, yeah. I, I, if you can't do these introductions without putting that in there. Right. I yeah, agree with you know, uh, and, and so anyway, it, it was those that are trying to, early on, that were trying to destroy and discredit the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Gentiles came up with this story, you know, that, that Paul did all of this uh, under the guise uh, uh, of being a Christian, but not so. Uh, kind of like, you know, when they, you know, the Jews today would tell you that his disciples stole the body. Well, if the disciples stole the body, where they buried you, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Paul was so, yeah. had so much zeal for yeah. for what he was doing. And top of that list, it's a gospel message. You know, just to digress yeah. a little bit. These things um, called letters or epistles right. um, have a, and we'll get into this okay. individually, purpose, occasion, theme, providence or location, a destination, and the author and time or date that this is written. And the occasion is, is uh, an interesting thing. But, but just to kind of overview the whole chapter, Romans, they can't figure out whether it really was this epistle or it was a theological treatise or what you would call systematic theology. No, it wasn't. They, they determined that, interestingly enough, Paul was carried along by the Holy Spirit. And this kind of took its own pathway, or own trail, through what is generally what you said, the gospel message. He's laying out the gospel message, and there's some categories. When they divide this up in the chapters, and and you said the 33 uh, mission trips, but he's talking about the fourth one here at the end of this chapter, and he's, he's soliciting that missionary trip through other people. We, we forget about the other people in this story. We kind of toss them overboard and say, well, Paul is organizing all of this. He couldn't. He didn't. And so we will see that flowing through this whole, right. whole book that there's people involved. And, and, and this is his thrust, that Christianity is exploding. And it's against this Gnosticism that you mentioned. Right. This craziness that he's an imposter. This Gnosticism is blooming right. 50 years from this point in time. See? And so it, its roots are here. Right. Gnosticism's roots are here. They can't figure out who Jesus is. And that's why when he goes to Rome, he knows he's up against a brick wall. And he's got to explain who and what the gospel message, what really is going on here, what God is really saying, and leave all of this this pantheism and all of this stuff out of the book. Yeah. And we don't see it here in the book. No. And, and you know, I mentioned, I mentioned earlier that that people believe that he he had described this book or authored this book in court. Well he mentioned 
the people that were associated with corn and who delivered this letter to the Romans? Phoebe. Where was Phoebe at? She lived in the port city at Corinth. You know, and so to give a time that this book was written, probably 56, 80, 56. They think between 55 and 57, most likely 56 because the people that were mentioned in there were present in Corinth at the time. And so uh, this book was one of the easiest ones to date. Yes. So, I mean, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of argument about the author. There's not a lot of argument about the date. Uh, there is some there's wobbling about parts of the book. There's a lot of data throughout yeah. Acts and other chapters. Right. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, and all that point to the date. Right. It, it pinpoints the because of the things that were going on around at that time. Uh, and so, uh, and he wrote this letter to the to the uh, Roman believers, trying to encourage them not to lose faith because they were starting to become very persecuted in Rome. Uh, and, and and so uh, Caesar is dying, and then you got uh, uh, Claudius is dying. Yeah, Claudius is dying, and then you got Nero, and Nero is vicious, and so. Uh, and so that's where we're where we're at there. Uh, the background, you know, Rome was the capital and the most important city of the Roman Empire. That was where the Senate was at. That was where all the that's where the the emperor was. Uh, and uh, and it was founded in 753 BC. Uh, but it's not mentioned in Scripture until the New Testament time. So Rome had been around for a long time. It just wasn't significant until the New Testament time, as far as we were concerned, is because it was it was directly the Romans referred to Israel as Palestine. The Palestinians today took that meaning that that was their land, which never was. But anyway, that's where that comes from. There were no Palestinians. There just weren't. There still aren't any Palestinians. But just so they give you a background of why, why that, why they, um, and so, um, and so, um, that's that's where this comes from. Uh, you know, uh, the Tiber River is about 15 miles from the Mediterranean, from the Mediterranean Sea, until the uh, artificial harbor was built uh, near Ocesna. Ostia, O-S-T-I-A, and how you want to say it. Uh, and, and Rome's uh, main harbor uh, was Patella. I guess it's like that, some 150 miles away. So there was, without them building an artificial harbor or in that river and widening the river, everything that came to Rome had to travel 150 miles to get there. And so it was susceptible to even as close as it was to Rome, it was susceptible to attack and, and, and robbery and thievery and, and marauder. Uh, some of those uh, people converted on the day of Pentecost probably founded the church in Rome. That's what they believe because it was it was, it was, it was required for Jews to go and make the pilgrimage 
to Jerusalem if they could. And if they could, they, they, they had to do it. They were obligated to do it. And so once Pentecost happened, they dispersed. You know, they started scattering. And, uh, and so uh, Paul's uh, primary purpose in writing Romans was to teach the great truths of the gospel of grace uh, to believers who had never received apostolic or apostolic instruction. Uh, the letter also introduced him to a church where he was personally unknown, uh, but hoped to visit soon uh, for several important reasons and, and to edify the believers. Uh, he was to preach the gospel, uh, to get to know the Roman Christians so that they could encourage him and better and pray for him uh, and to help him uh, with his planned ministry in Spain. He was planning on leaving Rome and going to Spain. So he, he was going past the rock. You know, everybody even at that time referred to Gibraltar as the rock. And he was planning on going to Spain on the other side of the rock. Uh, and, uh, of course, the Romans had already been there. They'd already been to England. Uh, you know, so... Uh, Adrian's Wall. Yep, that's exactly right. And so... Uh, the historical and theological theme, uh, you know, since Rome, since Roman is primarily a work of doctrine, it contains little historical material. Uh, Paul also, or Paul does not uh, use familiar Old Testament figures as Abraham or David or Adam, uh, Sarah or Rebecca, Jacob or Esau. He doesn't use any of them. Uh, but, uh, he also recounts some of the Israel's history in, in chapter 9 through 11. Uh, to, and, and chapter 16 provides insight or an insightful glimpse into the nature and character of the first century church and its members. He wasn't getting really into a whole lot of stuff, but what he was telling us, he was preaching and teaching that grace, that salvation comes through grace and that alone from God. That's what, it, that's what this book comes up. Uh, and there are a few interpretive kind, and I'm just hitting the high spots here. Uh, and, 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 you know, spiritual gifts are, are practical God. Spiritual gifts are God gifts. Uh, uh, the believer's responsibility to human government uh, and, and the principles of Christian leaders. Liberty. You know, we have a responsibility to the, to the government to be peaceable citizens unless they violate God's law. Unless the law calls us to violate God's law. Or God believes it. Uh, or our beliefs are from in God. Alright, so the challenge is, is as, a, uh, as a preeminent doctrinal work in the New Testament, Romans naturally contains a number of difficult passages. Paul's discussion of the uh, perpetuation of Adam's sin. Uh, it, it is one of the deepest, most profound theological passages in all Scripture. Uh, the nature of mankind's union with Adam and how his sin was transferred to the human race has always been the subject of intense debate. The debate is coming from those who don't want to be accountable. Just so, just so you know, it's an intense debate. Uh, Bible students also disagree on whether uh, 
chapter 7, 7 through 25, describes Paul's experience as a believer or unbeliever, or uh, uh, it is a literary, a literary device not intended to be uh, audio by, uh, also biographical uh, at all. Uh, the closely related doctrine of election and the sovereignty of God have confused many believers. Other questions uh, uh, whether chapters 9 11 teach that God was a, has a future plan uh, for the nation of Israel. Uh, he doesn't mention a lot of it. He doesn't go into the second coming of Christ here. He's he been heard in it. And that's why it's not right. a thoroughly systematic doctrinal book, because it leaves right. out the doctrine of, of the Lord's Supper, the doctrine of the first, whatever it is, fourth and fifth Thessalonians, where there's a return, second coming of Christ, he leaves out yeah. a number of these doctrinal issues that are, that are um, actually fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so it, it becomes a, a letter, a persuasive letter of the gospel is probably the closest thing. It's, it's a pistol, which is a, which is sort of rhetoric. And, and, and in this case, this this whole thing opens up to one basic idea that Paul's arguments are impenetrable. He was very good at rhetoric, and so he was going to an area that was deep in the Greek, so to speak, and, and hard to argue any kind of logic with with the logic of the gospel. And he was profound. Yeah. In fact, in, in later times, Paul's work was the only credible part of the Bible to some of these, I call them scholars, but the scholars of the past where they, they left the the inspiration of the Word of God and we're trying to to make an argument that the Bible uh, had any credible as an ancient document. This ancient document is so well wrapped here with Paul, data on Paul, that it and, and then when Paul actually, I call it, prosecutes the gospel. He he Puts the gospel message out there, it's impenetrable. They cannot, they cannot argue against it. In fact, Gary Habermas used it years and years later in the 1970s to uh, <coughs> 1970s and 80s to do his thesis. And the atheists on the panel could not could not turn it down. He had that much credibility by using Paul's work. And most of it was in Galatians and Corinthians, but a lot of that refers here, or is, is actually <coughs> summarized, is that a word for it? In Romans. It's the whole gospel is summarized. It's a treatise on the gospel and God's righteousness. In fact, let me just read the righteousness of, of um, the summary of this whole thing. Uh, if you break it down, righteousness revealed, that's the R of Romans, revealed. Righteousness obsolete, 
obsolete sin. That's the O. Righteousness made as justification. That's the M. Righteousness attained in sanctification. That's the A. Righteousness, righteousness enlarged worldwide. And then the last part from 12 to 16, righteousness is spread in this missionary endeavor or him opening up to this, this missionary idea to his, his, his uh, people, the people that he partnered with. The deaconess, just a, just a note on the deaconess, and we will get there in depth, but the deaconess, the word, was not deaconess. They didn't have the word for deaconess in the Greek until the third and fourth century in Greek. So there, there wasn't a word for deaconess that this word was promoter or um, protector, protectoress. She was, she was influential in that day, and Paul partnered with her on developing this mission idea and gave her a letter of recommendation, a letter of accommodation, I think it's called, but she was not what we would call a deaconess or a deacon to, as we see it today. She was a protectoress or a, a promoter, uh, a facilitator. A, she was wealthy and, and she had connections so she could put together large concepts and it took huge amounts of people to put together a mission trip. Um, and back to the some of the challenges. You know, the other question whether chapters 9 through 11 teach that God has a future plan for the nation of Israel. And some have ignored Paul's teaching uh, on the believer's doctrine uh, to human government that in the name of Christian activism, while others have used it uh, to defend slavish obedience uh, to totalitarian, totalitarian regime. So it it, just like any other part of the Bible, stuff gets twisted. Uh, all of these and more interpretive challenges are addressed in the notes and the respective passages. You know, and there's not a lot. I mean, you know, those are some major ones, but there's really not a whole lot here to, to really go at. It's not like, uh, you know, there, he really gets into on the spiritual gifts, and, and he, it's not like that. Uh, and it's not like that uh, uh, some of the doctrinal challenges that they have with uh, uh, that people have with uh, election and things like that it, it, they're arguing over things that really shouldn't be argued about it's not a salvational issue uh, and so uh, it, you can outline the book like this you know chapter Chapter 1, verses 1 through 15 is the, is the greetings and introduction. Uh, two is the theme. Uh, the theme of the book is going to be from one, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Uh, and then uh, the third thing that you're going to get to, there's about eight little Roman numerals that you can break this, this, the, chapter, the book down into. Uh, number three is the condemnation. Uh, it's com it's condemnation. The need for God's righteousness. And, and that, he'll talk about that from chapter 118 to, to about 320, 321, somewhere in there. Uh, 
And so you start out with the unrighteous Gentile, then you, start, then you go to the unrighteous Jew, and then you go to uh, the unrighteous mankind. And so when you get to 2021, that's where he's at. And then the next one would be four, be justification. The provision of God's righteousness, which Roger was talking about, the righteousness, uh, from 321 to 521 uh, is the provision of God's righteousness. The source of the righteousness, uh, the example of righteousness, the blessing of righteousness, the imputation, the impartation of righteousness. And then uh, number five would be uh, sanctification, uh, uh, the demonstration of God's righteousness, and that would go from chapter six to chapter eight. Uh, and then uh, and number six would be the restoration, Israel's reception of God's righteousness. Uh, number seven would be a, the application, the behavior of God's righteousness. And then number eight would be the conclusion, greetings, and benediction. Uh, and so there's a lot going on here. Uh, if you have a study Bible, you're going to find out that there's a lot of notes. Uh, short scripture, short scripture, and a lot of notes on the page. Uh, because this, this, this book is, is just full and replete with all kind of, of, of teaching. From, from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to 16. Yeah. And some practical aspects of this, as you well know, is the entire um, walking through the Roman road mm -hmm. and bringing somebody to salvation is here. Romans 3.23, mm -hmm. you know, all sin has come toward the glory of God. Then yeah. 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8 For God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified as with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever will, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the Roman road. Listen to how many profound people through the ages have found salvation in this book. You found it. And the, the one of which... We probably, the rich theological content includes salvation as attested by Augustine in 380, early on, Augustine. Martin Luther awakened mm -hmm. to justification by faith. Mm -hmm. The Solos. And John Wesley, that's how the Methodists came to be. Right. John Wesley's assurance of salvation upon hearing Luther's commentary on Romans. In 1738 came to salvation. I mean, he had to think about it a little bit there, but he he got there. And they became a pair, came to the United States, and uh, 
or Methodism. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're universities, Wesley universities all across the United States. Wesleyan University, you know, there's one here in North Carolina. Um, and you know what? I didn't use the exact wrong road, but I walked through over the phone with the guy. Right down to the Revelations, uh, 320, I believe it was, 321. Um, asking him to just simply read it. Don't tell him what it means. Let the Bible work on its own. And when he read it, he made an argument against it. And I said, read it again. And he broke down in tears when he read it the second time. And he broke down and gave day over. He wasn't worthy enough the last moment. And then when he read it again, he just broke and accepted it. It was too much for him to argue with God. So he gave in. And uh, that, it, it, it was awesome. I'm sitting there shaking my head like, you know, and he, he had in his you know, testimony afterwards the whole thing. He, he prayed a prayer and accepted Christ. It, you know, there's, there is a literary style on this that no one can you can figure out what it is. <laughs> but there, there is uh, Roman's authorship. I don't know if we're going to talk in depth on this, but the authorship is pretty much covered. Yeah. But there's unbelievable amounts of information in the authorship. There's a unity of Romans. There's a unity problem in chapter 16 because it's an out of sorts type of both style. And um, when it comes to the integrity of Romans, there's a lot of dispute on chapters 15 and 16 since they were not found in early manuscripts. However, Paul's reading to Priscilla and Aquila, verse 3, I think it's 16, who were last seen settled in Ephesus, now Acts 18, 19 and 26 collaborate this. Their return to Rome can be explained when the expulsion in AD 49. See, the Jews had formed the Christian church early on, coming back from Pentecost. But they were expelled. That was Priscilla and Aquila as well. And so the Jews were expelled during this 49. And the Gentile church probably took uh, their house, their house church, over and, and continued on. And so we see here that the Jews were like in charge in the early days, 49, and then when it got to about 54, 5, and 6, when Claudius died and, and uh, his band was relaxed, I think somewhere in the winter, summer, our winter years of 54 and 55. So they were taking advantage and the Jews were going back at that time. By that time, now the Gentiles were in charge. They were the largest body. And there was about 40,000 Jews, to give you an idea, in Rome 
during this time. That doesn't mean 40,000 were all Christians. But they were all expelled at one point. And now they're repopulating this population was about a million people strong in Rome during this time. And the Gentiles then were beginning to grow and were now in, in charge by and large of the Roman Yeah. When you were talking about the you know the authorship mm-hmm. in the, the last two chapters, uh, there's really no debate. It's, it's like it's like Matthew and Luke. They, in Matthew and Luke, there's a big synoptic problem that people have brought up that really is can't be defended uh, because they can't prove both. Now, you have to understand the problem is, is you got three people writing about the same event, and some of the things exactly are going to sound exactly the same. But then there's other things that's not going to be the same because I'm not going to interpret what I see the same way rather with. But the facts are the same. And so people have tried to make that a, a, uh, a problem. They say Matthew is first. And so anything after that, they had to copy Matthew. Well, not necessarily true. They don't take into account that the two were there. You know, they were eyewitnesses also. The actual converse of that, 80 some percent yeah. of Mark yeah. is in both Luke and in Matthew. 80% of it. Right. And this is all something to say. Yeah. Uh, so, so they try to say plagiarism and all. And it's not. It, it, it is not. And they can't, they can't prove it. Because all of the historical documents are written the way it is. Now, there is a problem with, with, with Mark. Chapter 16 was not in the original document. Right. Somebody had that somewhere along the line to make it feel good. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, and, and so when you have people that come at you and say, well, it's the King James Version only because it's authorized. Well, first off, it was authorized by King James. Thus its name. Second of all, you know, all these other interpretations, and they'll tell you, oh, you can't go by these other interpretations because they're not authorized. Well, no, King James is dead. He can't authorize these other versions, but however, you know, you do understand that, that part of Mark wasn't with in the original manuscript. And part of John. Yeah, part of John. No, 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 no. They couldn't say it. And then they don't, they don't understand that 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians might be the first book in the end book of a letter that had two other chapters, two other parts to it. That's missing two pieces. Right. And so there was many codex. Codex, yeah. by the way, was written on both sides of the parts, right? And not a scroll, right. which is written on one. So the codex pieces that they found, uh, P52, yeah. and there's uh, several of them, they had uh, authenticated the book. We don't have any of the original, what we call autoblitz. Uh, we have only the, the copied manuscripts, 4,500 yeah. of them. And so we've got plenty of evidence. Right. But, but so when we put this together, this authorship that they dispute uh, Paul on, uh, on Romans starts out with the Orthodox Christians as Clement of Rome, Ignatius, Justin Martyr, Polycarp, 
Theophilus and Irenaeus all confirm that Paul wrote right. you know, Romans. Even the heretic Marcion was the first to attribute authorship of Romans to Paul. So, so that, I mean, that's a starter. There's all kinds of evidence, internal, as we call it, and external for the authorship of Paul. Just like the Matthew. Right. Yeah. The, thing, the thing that they can't get away from, that, that along with Mark, along with Luke, and the other New Testament, is the unity of it. It is definitely God-breathed. Whoever can. Whoever can. But the majority of the book, up until the little bit at the end, was in the form of all writing, matched the other writings that he had. And you have to understand, we got 13 epistles. 13 books of the New Testament were written by the Apostle Paul. So there's plenty of evidence of his style of talking and, and the people that were writing. You know, uh, so. It is, it is, okay. And that was external evidence we just talked about. Right. Here's the internal sum of it. The salutation, he, he identifies himself as the author. Right. Paul is the author in 1 1. Yeah. Uh, the author's background fits now Paul 11 1. And now we'll go to 2 Corinthians 11 22. Yeah. And look uh, Philemon 3 5. Number three, the author's companions, travels, and ministry all fit the record of Paul's activity in Acts 15, 14 to 33, and 16 to 21. So there's, there's a connection here with Acts. The language and style are so similar to other letters ascribed to Paul. By the way, we have to divest here a little bit. The content of the letter reflects other, uh, others ascribed to Paul. You know that. But all of the writers in the early years
people who were instruments of his as well, and how his team of people put together and held together. All of the early books of the Bible were destroyed. No autographs. Only manuscripts were left. So we have it today. It survived. And guess what? We, we have it by faith. We believe in it because it's so well connected. It is proven over and over and over again as being... You can't, you can't pick it apart. And now we get Romans. You can't take the theology apart. You can't take God apart. His righteousness is, is so well logically written and laid out here by Paul that it's impenetrable as the word I would be. Pretty much at the end of the of the introduction, uh, the destination was to a congregation, a bunch of congregations, a bunch of churches in Rome, and yeah, and all the saints who were all believers, but there were populations Jews and Gentiles were living together. So he fights this unity battle, like we learned in Ephesians here, also. The same battle with those only but mm-hmm. different. Been on there. And five of the congregations, just to just to give you a flavor of that, the church that met in the home of Aquila and Priscilla. Christians associated with and you say these names. Dilagon, <coughs> Astrid, Serpius, Hermias, uh, Petrobas. And Hermes, that's Romans 16, 14, a group, uh, Pelagos, Julia, Nurses, and his sister, Romans 16, 15, and then Christians and households of Aristobulus and Narcissus. Nar- Narcissus. Many, yeah, <laughs> Narcissus. Many also have met together as a group and worshipped in these homes also, but there's there's about five congregations that were listed, but there was many more than this, they thought. And so, of course, the writing of Romans is a letter that the muriatic, just to read another muriatic muratorium uh, of canon is found way late, but dates to this time, has a statement on it. As for the epistles of Paul, they themselves make clear to these desiring to understand which ones they are, from what place, or for what reason they were sent. First of all, to the Corinthians, prohibiting their heretical schisms next to the Galatians again circumcision then to the Romans he wrote at length explaining the order or plan of the scriptures and also that Christ is their principle or main theme so in that that uh, framework I think 
don't have the date on American moratorium canon, but that is a one of the first things that organized the canon of the New Testament, and it's also a place where there's some some uh, statements to those autoglyphs that were there in the early days. I think this was second century, late second century, where where it was uh, actually written down. Me quit. So come on, come on, yeah, quit. I'm just thrilled a bit that the name they ain't like the name me. I'll be walking around, not being able to call them up. I'd be, hey, you. <laughs> so, so, there were several different congregations. Um, mm-hmm. McGee says that it was a church in Rome founded kind of vicariously because Paul wasn't really there, but he, he, they infiltrated into the area and then it became a church. Yeah. But he didn't say different congregations. He just said the church was founded like that. That was just his overview. But but you're telling me the church, all the church of Rome, here's a congregation here and one over here, there's still the church of Rome. Yeah. Yeah. And they're probably house churches. A house church. Yeah. At least we know of a couple of them. And and probably later it became more formal. Yeah. Or probably the underground house church. Yeah. Because uh, there was persecution. They were, they were, yeah. Negro uh, You know, uh, uh, that's how the, the sign of the fish. You know, you'd walk up to somebody's door and knock on the door and usually there was dirt there and they would take their staff and draw part of the fish and the person knew what they were doing, and looked down and knew what it was and draw the other half you were free to come in. If not, you go going to another house. I mean, you know, it's uh, there's a lot of things, you know, that, that's over the years that's been used uh, to identify. You know, that's how you get the candy cane on the Christmas tree. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that, that are put out there because people were, were practicing their religion when, or their Christianity when it was taboo, when it was against the law. And so, Unless you worship at this time, unless you worship Caesar, you were breaking the law. You were breaking the law. And so Rome had, up until Nero, had pretty much allowed the locals to, to do what they wanted to do in their own little religion to keep, to keep revolution down and uprising down throughout the empire. And so, uh, uh, but in Rome, when I didn't do it, they just did not do it in Rome. Um, and so those those congregations or house churches or the church in Rome was probably underground. And you probably had two war factions. Uh, the one that was probably able to, to work openly were the Jews. They were probably able to work openly. Christians were seen by the Jews in trouble, so they were probably told on for lack of a better term, you know, uh, it, was, it was a tough time. And we notice through history that when persecution comes, the church flourishes. That's the biggest uh, group in, 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 in people coming to Christ is during persecution because there's not another there's not another form of salvation available to man other than Christianity that the work has already been done. Every other form of 
religion or salvation. You have to do the change. See, that's like, uh, uh, what is the one where you have to die and you come back reincarnated? And, you know, if you've lived a good life, you'll come back to something else. If you lived a bad life, you got things to do. You might come back as a butterfly or an ant or a bug or something. And you've got to work your way back up. That, see, that, that's hocus pocus. You know, uh, uh, and so uh, there's a lot of superstition and, and, and a lot of satanic stuff involved in these things. Because we forget that, that Satan is still during this time and has been since the fall running through looking for whom he can devour and kill and murder and, and deceive. And so today, even, even in America, as educated as we are, we have deceived. You have satanic churches under the guise of Christianity. And it is difficult to see the... It's obvious to me, but to explain it to someone and to see that it's obvious that if a man came out of the grave alive, this is some kind, and he was the one who was perfect and shed his blood for it, it, to redeem us and to save us, it, it becomes obvious to those who can see it. But the one that can't see it, or in darkness, cannot see this as so obvious. It doesn't. It becomes a question. Now, what do you mean? You know, they would ask, and why, and who said that? And, and of course, when you read the Bible and all the facts come together, it's too overwhelming to say. It isn't logical. It's too overwhelming to say it doesn't work. It's too overwhelming. But the, the, and the pragmatic, the, the, I guess the practical, the practical common sense view of it, it is Christianity is really one of the only, for uh, lack of a better term, religion where you don't have to make a pilgrimage. All the other world religions, you have to make a pilgrimage to the burial site of they're supposed prophets or they're supposed God. Well, I, I can tell you right now. When you go to this place and there's a big jade statue, and that's supposed to be the burial place of Buddha, well, that tells me he's not a God, he's a man. And the same thing for Muhammad. The same thing for Zoyster. You know, they're, they're, and just keep naming them. They're there. I mean, they're out there. Confusion. You know, they all have these graves and you can go to. You can't go to the grave of Jesus Christ. However, you can go to the hill he was crucified on. You can probably find the vineyard where they captured him. You can definitely go to the place where he ascended. You can't go to the grave because he ain't there. He ain't there. Then it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. That's what that that's what we as human beings long for to be in our home. Our soul wants to be in his home and it's not here now. But it, it is that great hope. We I, I was I was just hit broadsided by the fact that God made us out of dirt. Right? Yeah. Clay from the ground, he made us up. But then he fashioned us in a jar of clay with this great treasure inside. Now we become, as believers, this jar of clay with this great, in other words, how profound, how, 
how illuminating is that? I mean, we hold this treasure inside of us, this hope. You can bust that car, that jar of clay all to pieces. All you're going to see is a light that's going to flash vaporize the soul itself to go back to its maker. So obvious, but yet there's so many who are far away from it. Grab onto this. Grab onto this hope. Study this. Love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And your strength. It is... The, the, the amazing thing is, you know, that we read it, you know, from dust we came, so to it we shall return. But then, because we've been grafted into the family uh, and been adopted into the, into the family of God, we're going to receive a glorified body. And I mean, our spirit is going to go to heaven, and then we will receive a glorified body. Incorruptible. The Bible tells us that. You know, it's not just that we're George Clay and, and yes, we're going to return to the dirt, but we have eternity and a glorified body. No pain, no suffering, you know, none of that. And that's what the main incidentally you just hit on it. Romans one twenty four since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities is eternal in power. Mm-hmm. And divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, play jars or whatever, so that men are without excuse. Yep. Christ came, Christ died, Christ rose, Christ ascended. No man has an excuse to not understand who God is and that there is an eternity. Period. That is true. All you gotta do is look around. And as beautiful as this earth is, as beautiful as, as the Grand Canyon and all these magnificent things are, they're the result of destruction. The world was destroyed by a flood. And the Grand Canyon and all these places came from destruction. Imagine what this place looked like before it was destroyed. If through the rubble of destruction we see beauty, wow. We see through a glass dark. Paradise must have been something and it's going to be. Imagine how miraculous heaven is going to be. What the the jewels in the gate and the wall. Not only that, you're gonna walk on a ground that that as clear as glass. It looks like a river. It's gold, it's gold, but it's translucent gold. You yeah, 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 you know, and and, and there, there's a there's a joke that I'll put out there that you know uh, people would die and, and they wanted to take their gold with them. They put it in the casket. When they get up to the pearly gates, you know, they have and one of the little young guys was there helping, and he said, "Tell me something. He said, Why all these people coming up here bringing us paper?" You know, kind of put things in perspective, don't it? You know, what, what's considered miraculous and wealthy here up there is just asphalt, pavement, you know. It's it got a lot of draws to it yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, any questions, any comments?
So next next time we'll, we'll we've done the overview. So yes, we'll ma'am. Get next Wednesday night we chapter, will start the chapter one. Start chapter one. Yes, ma'am. Hopefully we will uh, we'll plow right. We won't get too much clay stuck on the on the mold board. Don't we go right the shoes? <laughs> uh, let's go to the Lord prayer. So Father God, we love you. We thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for the. For the historical and the things that nobody ever talks about, Lord, unless you're in an uh, academic about the book, about the arguments and, and the the, uh, the pluses, the pros and the cons, and this is uh, nice to know uh, information, uh, kind of a backdrop and going into this book, why he was written, what he was planned for. Lord, we know we're going to get that from the scriptures. Open it to. Make it alive. Give us the ability to walk it out so people can see it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Yeah. 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 Yeah.